The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We are talking about bus case and worst case scenarios for the Milwaukee Bucks draft. We are talking about the Brewers and Reds with three takes and out. A little bit of Cardinal talk and Brewer talk in there as well. Uh, we will go into Chuck's Corner talking about the fight I got in at Upper East Bar. Don't worry, it was an actual, it's a verbal altercation and it was with an employee, not anybody randomly. So we'll talk about that at the end of the show um, and get into much, much more. But before we do, make sure you follow us on social media. Tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram and TikTok. I gotta boost those Instagram follows again because I think Upper East and their owner unfollowed me on Instagram after I was ranting against their bar instead of acknowledging what happened and maybe just reach out and ask for an explanation. Here nor there, that's okay. We soldier on, but I'd appreciate a couple more follows. Uh, TikTok's been rolling recently, so that's good. If you are new and you're coming in from TikTok, you're listening to the podcast, giving us a chance. Uh, you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, doesn't matter. Overcast, we're, we're everywhere, okay? Uh, also, if you already subscribed, you know what I'm going to tell you. You got to share it. You got to tell your friends about us. Um, hopefully you are. Um, hopefully I, I wasn't lying about that. I, did, I do have it out. It's now official. I said it at the end of, I think, Friday's show, but I'll say it at the top. You share your podcast with your friends. Send me a screenshot, and I will Venmo you for a beer. I will buy your beer whenever you're out. I did that for like a Friday, but you can show me that screenshot. Be like, hey, check out this podcast. I will Venmo you for a beer um, in your local watering hole. So that is what I'm willing to do. Try to spread the word and gain even more awareness about what we're trying to do here. Let's talk about best and worst case scenarios for the Milwaukee Bucks draft on Thursday evening. The Milwaukee Bucks will be drafting at the 24th position in the NBA draft on Thursday. The NBA draft sneaks up on you. It go, it, it's like we go from the finals to the draft right away, and then we go into free agency. It is an absolute sprint for basically three or four weeks of the NBA, and then it calms down until basically the season gets going. You'll, you'll have stuff on Twitter. You'll have different hypotheticals. It, it never really goes away. It's definitely as close to a 24-7 league, just like the NBA, but part of it is because there's a lot of soap opera shit, and it turns into the real housewives of the association in, in the offseason. The Milwaukee Bucks have a draft pick. The Milwaukee Bucks will be drafting 24th in this draft. That is a great slot for the Bucks to be picking somebody that could basically help their team next year get back to the championship or be a building block for the future of this Milwaukee Bucks team. One thing that Mitch has really harped on, my co-host, and I, I totally agree with what he's saying, is that the Bucks need to start developing their future. The Bucks right now do not have a future plan. It is Giannis Antetokounmpo, it's Drew Holiday, and it's Chris Middleton. But they do not have a future in place, mostly because they've struck out in the draft. They have had many misses in the draft, and it's been pretty brutal to watch. Now, hopefully, the Milwaukee Bucks can reverse that trend and actually get somebody who can contribute and who can give the Bucks what they need this season. So that's where we're going to go with best case and worst case scenarios. Talking about what I think would be ideal for the Bucks, And then talking about things that I don't think would be great. And we'd be a little bit bummed out whether we're taping Thursday night or we're taping Friday morning, you know, recapping the draft, which we will do. Best case scenario for me is a guy who can play right away. That to me is my immediate focus. I want a guy that can play 
from the jump, that there is no waiting around for this dude, that he can attack and he can be a contributor for the Bucks at the start of next season. That to me is the biggest point of emphasis that I have because the Bucks lacked depth last year. They, they were not a deep team, especially around the wings and the guard position. They need to get deeper and they need to get younger. And I think this is the perfect draft to do that. A couple guys that I look at where I'm like, hey, these guys can play right away. Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. I think Jalen Williams, to me, is developing into my favorite prospect. I don't know if he's going to make it to 24. I think the Bucs honestly could trade up to 20 if they needed to to get Jalen Williams, see if they could put something together with a player and a whatever. I think he's worth it. I really do. I think Jalen Williams is a hell of a guy that can contribute right away. EJ Liddell, another one. I think Bucks fans have soured on the idea of EJ Liddell because they don't necessarily know where to put him inside the Bucks offense, which I understand. But I do think he's an immediate contributor for you. I think he's a guy that can push the floor. He's a guy that can shoot a little bit. He can get dirty down low. I think he can just do a lot of things. And to me, he's decent Bobby insurance, even though he's not that tall. He still could give you a little bit of Bobby insurance if Portis decides to bounce. Christian Braun's another guy who I'm not, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about Christian Braun for the Bucks. I know what a lot of people would say, oh yeah, we're just drafting another white guy. But to me, Christian Braun is like a supercharged Pat Connaughton. He's like Pat Connaughton with Super V, right? If you're a fan of the boys, which if you're not, you got to get on that. Great show on Amazon. I would recommend it to anyone who kind of likes action, a little dark comedy. It's your thing. You'd, you'd enjoy it. But anyways, Christian Braun to me, could give the Bucks 10 to 15 minutes a game right out the shoot and could really provide some scoring, provide some, you know, takes the rim, like I said, a little bit bigger content. I realize it's Caucasian and Caucasian, but hear me out. I, I just feel like that's a guy that could really help Milwaukee in terms of their wing wing need. They were too light in the wings. They needed to throw more guys at players like Jason Tatum so they wouldn't drop 46 points. And we saw what Golden State was able to do against Tatum with throwing multiple bigger guys on him. And Christian Braun could be part of that equation. Walker Kessler is another guy that I see could contribute right away. Walker Kessler is going to come in in the worst case scenario. He, to me, is the next Brooke Lopez. He's a guy who can shoot. He can defend. He can rebound. He probably rebounds a little bit better than Brooke Lopez, but it's hard not to see the comparison right there. And if the Bucks were to move off of Brooke Lopez, which I would not recommend, but if they felt like Walker Kessler could do enough things that Brooke did, maybe that's a move the Bucks make. Or it's just basically getting ready for that next generation, which is what we talked about in the open. So I think Walker Kessler, to me, would be an ideal player for the Milwaukee Bucks, but we'll we'll get more of that uh, in the worst case as well. Because like I have I have mixed feelings on Walker Kessler. Originally, I was all in on it. I still am in, but I I do want to offer a maybe not a worst case, but something that I would irk me slightly. Also, also on this would be fill the void of the wing problem. So a lot of the guys we mentioned are wings. Mikhail Branham is a guy who has fallen a little bit. And if Branham's available um, at 24, you take it, right? To me, he's a guy who I think should be drafted in the top 10, or not top 10, excuse me, 10 to 20, but he's somehow fallen. I think just because he didn't necessarily have the greatest freshman year, 
and I do think there's an opportunity there. He's a little undersized. Maybe maybe you want a little bit bigger, but he's a guy that could definitely fill that void. Jalen Williams, again, another one that would be perfect. Liddell, Braun, those are all wing guys that I really think could contribute. Dalen Terry's another one. I'm not as big of a fan of him. We'll get to, again, get to that in the worst case, but he's, he's a name that you could mention in terms of a wing that would help, help the Bucks out immediately. I just think wing is their biggest point of emphasis. I could understand backup point guard being an issue, but I do think that Javon Carter is your backup. You're kind of your future backup point guard. I think George Hill will be on the move if they move George Hill in a trade package. Um, I think that George Hill is not a buck next year. I just don't see it. I realize some of the stats bear out and say, hey, George Hill actually really helped the Bucks last year, and George Hill was a solid contributor. But at the end of the day, George Hill couldn't do it in the playoffs, and that's really all that matters right now for the Bucks. It's it's nothing else, and you have to be able to play in the playoffs. And I don't think George Hill's that guy. But I personally would rather have the Bucks make this pick on a wing than a guard or a center. If I had to rank it, I would go wing, point guard, center in that order because I just think you need more and more guys that can play multiple positions and intertwine with the other players on the team. And again, if you're going to lose Connaughton and Portis, which I don't think they are, that's insurance right there, right? That's the insurance that you need for either of those players. Last last thing in terms of best case is may, you know, maybe could play, but definitely a lottery ticket, if you will. So a guy who has all the potential in the world, but maybe there was something that happened that fell off. Jalen Hardy is a great example of this. He led the G League in scoring, but he shot the ball way too fucking much. He was 35% from the field. He was just an absolute, just threw everything up. Now, some Bucks fans could argue that we lack a microwave scorer, and Hardy could be that microwave guy. But given Bud's aversion, aversion to play young guys on top of a guy who doesn't play a ton of defense, it's going to take a while for Jalen Hardy to crack in. I just worry that Jalen Hardy would be another Jordan Nora, but I understand the idea. Pat Baldwin's another name that I would love for, for the Bucks to take. And I realize it's a Milwaukee story. I realize there's a lot of angles there. But Pat Baldwin, if he would have had a successful year at UWM, he's probably a top 10 pick, Right. He's maybe a top 15 pick, and he's fallen all the way to the second round. Like I, I think that's crazy. Like If anything, I would love the Bucks to trade back. Say they go to, I don't know, the 28th, 29th pick. They get a second round pick in the mix as well, and they're able to draft Patrick Baldwin. I think that would be great for the Bucks because Baldwin, to me, is the kind of player that Andrew Wiggins, in a sense, was for the Warriors, right? A guy who was kind of down on his luck and you're taking a chance on somebody who could be really special. Nikola Jokic, jo- not, it's not Jokic. You want to say Jokic, it's Jovic. Nikola Jovic, 6'10 kid out of Serbia who has a ton of potential, huge upside there, a big, big time scorer, uh, can pass the ball. Another guy that I would say is probably worth a lottery ticket. We've just seen how well foreign players have done recently, I think it's worth a chance. And he's right around where the Bucks are going to take him. I don't know if he plays right away, so that would be your only concern. 
right? And I think that's the case with Paul Baldwin. I think it's the case with Hardy. I'm not as wild about Hardy as I think some other people are. I just don't see it. Blake Wesley, I think, would be another guy who you'd put in that mix of definitely might not get on the court this year, but two years from now, he could be a starter for the team or a guy who's contributing off the bench. Worst case scenario, guys with scoring questions. I don't want anybody who we were worried about his scoring. I am so far out on Kennedy Chandler, I cannot stand it. I will be apoplectic of the Bucks draft Kennedy Chandler. I really will. I just do not see it from for, for that at all. Like To me, Kennedy Chandler is a guy who doesn't make a lot of sense for what the Bucks need. Like If they draft Kennedy Chandler... It's like, okay, you just basically drafted Javon Carter. Like, you have Javon Carter on the team. What What's the difference there? Like, he's undersized. He he does play good defense, but is he going to get swallowed up by the league? He's really young. I am uh, out, all the way out on Chandler. Dale and Terry, I wouldn't say I'm as out on. A 3 and D guy, but he was coming off the bench for Arizona. He wasn't, he wasn't exactly playing a ton of minutes for Arizona last year. I get worried about those guys because, to me, they're still not there. They've never been the man. So maybe that works out for the Bucks, but I'm pretty out on him. I'm out on Bochamp too. Um, another G League guy that I, I just don't necessarily feel like the Bucks have enough time for. And he wasn't that great of a scorer with the G League. So I'm going to probably pass on that. Um, I really think that those are the type of guys that the Bucks need to avoid. Chandler's the guy, like he's my absolute no thanks. And I know some people have said he fits a lot of the Bucks profile stuff. And if he's drafted, whatever, we'll get on board. But I am not going to be a fan of that one. Trading out without an asset um, would be catastrophic. Like, to me, if the Bucks didn't come back with something to trade out of, like if they do, they do like a Harrison Barnes deal and they get Harrison Barnes for the 24th pick and other guys get traded along with them, that's great. I'll take that. Again, I agree with what we talked about at the start. You're not necessarily developing the future, but that's okay. And I know I mentioned like trading back and getting multiple picks. I'm fine with that. I think there's a deep draft. I don't think that's a problem. I think you're basically giving yourself multiple chances, um, which goes into our other worst case, not getting into the second round to me is a massive disadvantage for the Bucks. The Bucks have been less willing to do that. They'd rather take on their luxury tax in other ways than the draft. I know you're like, oh, here's the cheap bucks. But they lost the pick for that ridiculous Boyan Bodanovich story. And so they don't have a second round pick. And I feel like they should try to get back into it. And so whether that is just coming into the draft and having a team trade cash for their pick or it's you know, trading down from 24 because you feel like a guy like Baldwin is much better at like a 28 spot plus, you know, you get maybe the 35th pick or the 36th pick or something like that. And you can draft another kind of impact player that might be down there, like a Jalen Williams, for example, which I think would drive Bucks fans crazy because Jalen Williams basically is Grant Williams. It's it's weird. They look kind of alike. They play similar. I, I don't know. It freaks. It'll freak you out. But basically, he's a big Brad Davidson. Um, which I, I think there would be a lot of our cup fans that'd be like, fuck that. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I think those are important. The last thing I would say, and I, again, I wouldn't say this is like a worst case scenario, but I don't really know how I feel about drafting Brooke Lopez replacements in the set first round. 
basically because I don't think they're going to trade Brooke Lopez. I think Brooke Lopez is way too valuable to their defense to trade Brooke Lopez. I just don't see that happening, number one. Number two, it's like, all right, if you draft Walker Kessler or you draft Christian Coloco, Coloco, to me, is a guy you'd trade down. I don't think Coloco is, he's a reach at 24. I think 28, 29, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but also, like, I just don't think that that's the move for the Bucks this year because he's going to be behind Lopez all year. Yes, he gets time to develop, but the same juncture, like, is that what you really want right now? Is that really going to help the Bucks in the immediacy? I don't think so. So, again, to, to put a bow on it, I want a guy who can contribute right away. I want a scorer and probably a wink. And if you got to take a chance on somebody, do it. But yeah, no guys with scoring question marks. That's the last thing that would help the Bucks. But I'm very excited. We'll see what happens and much more to come on the draft later this week. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers and the Cincinnati Reds. The Brewers had a great sweep of the Reds. They go 5-4 and four on the road trip. This is their third nine-game nine road trip. They came out of it one game over 500, and that is all you can ask for. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers started out rough, uh, losing, you know, almost getting swept by the Nationals, then losing two out of three to the Mets where they really should have won. To rebound with a sweep is great. Um, and really, Brewers, it was kind of never a doubt, right? The Brewers got up early in game one. Um, then Lauer blew up. Game gets tight. Keston Hura is able to hit a home run, and that's the difference. Then on Saturday, they jumped all over. Graham Ashcroft, who definitely was in line to regress. Um, I did not wager on that game because Jason Alexander also is a prime regression candidate. And I don't want to be on that end. And then today, again, they jumped on Mike Miner. And Reds came back. But then right, right away, the Brewers were able to respond. And I think that, to me, is one of my big takeaways, if we're doing three takes and out here, is the bats have been alive since Wednesday. So since Wednesday, the Brewers have really sort of come to life in terms of their offense. I don't know if they've changed their approach a little bit. I don't know if it's the lineup. I don't know if it's just having more guys healthy. But I I think the Brewers have really sort of shown me something offensively since Wednesday. Uh, They have, I think, the lowest run total in that time period has been four runs, and that was against the Mets on Thursday. But that's still pretty good. And they jumped out to the lead in all of those games. Again, they probably should have beat the Mets on Thursday. They just had a lot of dumb shit happen in that game. And you guys heard me on Friday ranting and raving about it. And the Reds, to me, are not a team that you should think about from early May. That that team's gone. Like The Reds are a little bit better. They're still a bad baseball team, but they're a better bad baseball team than they were six weeks ago. So I think it's impressive what the Brewers did. I think the bats just, it wasn't all home runs. It was the Brewers produced runs. They added home runs in the mix. And that's when I think the Brewers are really special. When you can score runs, you know, with doubles and singles and things like that, and then come through and make an inning a little bit bigger, just like what Victor Carantini did, just like what Hunter Renfro did. Like, I, I think those are the type of things that really make you from a good team to a great team. So the bats coming alive was great. Hopefully it can carry over to the St. Louis series. Number two, the bullpen is suddenly strong. Uh, the bullpen has held a team scoreless for the last eight games. 
teams are hitting 125 against this bullpen. Uh, did 11 hits of 88 at-bats. That's pretty damn impressive for a bullpen that's kind of patchworked at this point. You haven't had Josh Hader for most of that. Uh, Trevor Kelly somehow is still on the team, and he's not a big league pitcher. Uh, but he's been good in his last couple starts. You had a high leverage Miguel Sanchez situation. Hobie Milner, to me, is one of the Brewer MVPs so far this season, which is crazy to sound, but like he's gotten the Brewers out of so many different jams. He's been great for the Brewers uh, in terms of their bullpen. Uh, and Boxberger, to me, has kind of figured it out a little bit, which is great. And Devin Williams has shown himself as a closer. And I think at some point we have to have the Josh Hader trade conversation because I think it's closer than it was maybe a year ago because I think Devin Williams looks comfortable in that role. And that would at least raise some questions and maybe some eyebrows if you're David Stearns thinking about the future of this team and the haul you could get for Josh Hader because you could get an absolutely unreal haul. Number three is Lorenzo Cain getting DFA'd. Probably would have led with it if it happened today. Uh, but Lorenzo Cain, man, what a brewer. Uh, guy was, to me, a brewer for life. I know he played for the Royals. I know there are people who consider him more of a Royal because he won a World Series. But there. But the fact is, is like Lorenzo Cain helped engineer this turnaround for the crew. They, I still remember getting Yelich and Cain on the exact same day. I was working for Associated Bank at the time. I think I did like an instant reaction, and it was like, we got Kane, or it was like, we had Yelich, and it's like, holy shit, we also got Lorenzo Kane. And the Brewers basically were like, we're not fucking around anymore. And they rebuilt that team, and they had a lot to do with the success and the continued success of this Brewers team. I wish, I understand why, because he has kids and everything else, but I really wish Lorenzo Kane wouldn't have opted out in 2020. I do wonder if he thinks about it because still was playing at a pretty good level and could have had a real opportunity to you know push that Brewer team a little forward. They were not good. They missed Kane though all year. That was that was it, right? They were one or two pieces away the entire year and finished 500 in a 60 game season. It's a Fugazi season. I get that, but I wonder if looking back on it, Lorenzo Kane has a little more regret than he did, let's say, in 2020. Now, I don't know what's next for Lorenzo Kane. I, I hope the Brewers are able to bring him as a coach if possible. I don't know if that's something he wants to do. I'm sure he wants to spend time with his family if he decides that he's done playing. Um, according to the Brewers beat writers, he would always tell people how he has three kids. Uh, so it must he's, he's a family man. And so I do wonder if he just says, fuck it, let's take the summer off, let's enjoy the summer, and maybe I'll see if I have one more in me next year. Or if I'm like a team like Kansas City, Kansas City's awful. One of the worst teams in baseball. Why not bring Lorenzo Cain back to try to make sort of a pseudo-like retirement tour? I don't know if that's something Lorenzo Cain would want. But for the Royals, I think they could actually sell some tickets that way um, and bring a couple more people out to the ballpark. Now, I could also see a team, I'll, just, I'll hypothetically say the Yankees. I'm not, they're just not on my mind because they've been so fucking good. Uh, just, I know they lost today, but they're, they're so good, right? They have just been such a good baseball team. But let's say the Yankees, the Padres, the Dodgers, one of these really successful teams looks at Kane and th- just sees them as a potential defensive replacement. And maybe they feel like their hitting coaches can figure something out if the tape shows that. Now, I don't know. Maybe the tape 
doesn't show that Lorenzo Cain has anything to fix, and that's a wasted roster spot. But we do see defensive replacements having a bigger role in the postseason, and so maybe Cain latches on there. It would really sting if he like latched on to St. Louis. Uh, that would hurt, or really anywhere in the NL. Uh, the Dodgers would be bad. I I kind of forget how much the Dodgers are our rivals until like Mitch shined a light on it last week. I was like, yeah. I really do hate those guys. So let's not have Lorenzo King go there. But whatever does happen, wish him the best. Uh, Jonathan Davis had an impressive first game. Uh, two hits in, in his first one with the Brewers. So excited to see if that can continue and if he can be a contributor. But I really do think the Kane roster spot is a place where you can make a trade. I realize what David Stern said about wanting to do things all in-house. Um, which is probably a good topic for Mitch and I, so I won't dive too far into, into that, but I feel like the Kane roster spot is a perfect one to add somebody, whether it is a trade or taking a flyer on somebody, kind of a Rowdy Telez-like, right, where it's a bunch of potential and they're, the team has given up on him. Uh, that, to me, feels like the right move. So hopefully the Brewers will have Josh Hader back uh, for Monday. I just obviously had his baby boy. Uh, congrats to him. I assume that's the case. They won't have Colton Wong, which sucks. Uh, so they will still be without you know one of their key cogs uh, as they take on the St. Louis Cardinals. It's a massive series. And I think it's bigger than people think because of the fact that t- there are tiebreakers now in baseball. And it's all head-to-head. And the Brewers and Cardinals are knotted. They are knotted so far. Um, it is even between the two teams. You have four games here. If the Brewers can win three out of four, that's a massive leg up going forward if the Cardinals and them are chasing each other. Now, the Cardinals are playing really good baseball. Um, I, I mean, not really good, but they're, they're playing good baseball. They're a thorn in their side. Goldschmidt hasn't stopped. He's probably the NL MVP right now. Um, Arenado still hitting the ball well, uh, and their pitching staff has looked strong. And you're going to face their best pitching, their best best four guys. Uh, you're going to have Miles Mikolas tomorrow, who's gave the Brewers fits versus Corbin Burns. So that's going to be a hell of a matchup. Be a lot of fun. Burns looks like himself against the Mets. Hopefully, we can see that again from Burnsy on Monday, and then Tuesday. You're going to have Jack Flaherty back for the Cardinals. Now, Flaherty didn't have a good first start, but Flaherty has had some really good moments against the Brewers in the past. So I'm not going to put put it past Jack Flaherty to look good on Tuesday night. Uh, the Brewers will send, they're supposed to send Aaron Ashby to the mound. I don't know with the forearm soreness if Aaron Ashby is going to start. Um, they haven't announced if he's going to go on the DL or anything like that. A lefty against the Cardinals, though, scares the living shit out of me because they eat lefties for breakfast. So that, to me, is even more reason why they need to win tonight with uh, Burns on the mound. You have Eric Lauer against Wainwright on Wednesday. Lauer starting to regress a little bit. Wainwright has been decent, but you're seeing an ability to kind of get to him early. The Brewers got to him early the last time they faced Wainwright. They need to do the exact same thing and just get to him early, not let his sinker ball get settled in, um, and hopefully Lauer can avoid damage. But yeah, having two lefties against this team who absolutely mashes against lefties, it's a little scary. And then you have Alexander against Dakota Hudson, another regression bowl. Both guys have underlying numbers that aren't great, uh, but hopefully 
uh, we we can figure it out. So I I still like the Brewers in terms of a split against the Cardinals. I think just get it out of the way early, keep the momentum from the Cincinnati series rolling. I think this is a great test for the Brewers in the next nine days to see what they're all about. You have nine games against teams that are over 500. Right now, the theme of this season has been the Brewers can do it against teams that are bad. And I still think that's important. Like, don't get me wrong. I would rather sweep the Reds than get swept by the Reds, right? I think you're pissed off if they're swept by the Reds. Or if you lose two out of three to the Reds, but you sweep the Mets, hypothetically speaking. It's cool that you swept the Mets. That's a great feather in your cap. But you also lost two out of three to the Reds. So are you just playing up to your opponent, right? But these nine games would be nice if the Brewers could kind of find something there, right? They have St. Louis, they have Toronto, they have Tampa Bay. And then you get a very easy, light part of your schedule of Pittsburgh, Chicago, Pittsburgh. So I would like to see something out of the Brewers here in these nine games, seven of them being at home. Uh, I think it would be awesome if you could do six and three or even, I mean, seven and two, I think is asking a little too much. But if you're six and three or five and four in these, and you look the part, I, I would like that. And I think the Brewers have looked the part against St. Louis this year. I don't know if they've always looked the part against some of the other teams. Padres, in, in San Diego, they did. I think they were beat up to shit when they played the Padres here at Miller Park. Uh, but I, I think they looked the part at least a little bit against the Padres. And the Mets, I would, I would say they did too. I mean, they had two games where they should have won. One was a straight-up loss, but that's okay. I don't think a lot of teams have been able to say that, right? Look at the Marlins this this weekend. They won a game on Sunday, but they really weren't in either the Friday or the Saturday game. So to me, like you just got to look like you, you match the part. And St. Louis is a team they've been okay against. Then you go in the interleague with Toronto and Tampa, who are both playing decent. Toronto is not maybe not as good uh, in terms of pitching, uh, as Tampa is, and Tampa's been struggling of late, but who knows? I mean, it's a long way away. Like, they have they have bit a lot of baseball before we see the Brewers and the Rays on the 28th and 29th of June. All right, let's move on to Chuck's Corner and talk about my new rivalry with Upper East Bar. This weekend was the summer solstice here in Milwaukee. It's a great event. We kind of talked about it on Friday's show, where streets are blocked off, you're having fun, local music. It's really a good time. It's a lot of fun. Usually get pretty drunk at those events. Uh, they used to block off North Avenue. They didn't do that. They actually did like a two-block block off. But then in the middle of it, which is Black Cat Alley, they had DJs going. It was a lot of fun. Um, I thought it was, a, it was a really – I actually would have stayed for the DJs. My friends were not necessarily DJ-going types. But it was, it was a great time, man. Uh, I really enjoyed – the atmosphere. I enjoyed be, just being out, you know, with the people. A little chilly at the end, but that's okay. Um, you know, that's life, right? Milwaukee gets cold by lake. They don't. They don't lie to you. But we went to Upper East Bar for a little bit because a couple of us were cold. We just and we want to take advantage of the fact they had two dollar Miller Lights. It's a place we had drank before uh, as youth, as it was East Sider, and the experience was pretty substandard. It was, I tweeted out, like, I feel like I'm in a bar rescue episode because we didn't get greeted at the door. The bartender is clearly drunk. She might have been high, too. I, like, she's offering candy to patrons and things like that, which is really bizarre. 
And she was just kind of like all over the place. Didn't greet us. Didn't say, hey, how are you? We didn't even get ID'd at the door. Not that that matters. We're fucking, you know, in our 30s. But none of us got ID'd at the door. You'd think for a place that was that close to the college that someone would ID us. Nobody ID'd us. No one checked our IDs. Nothing. There was no bouncer. Not a single thing. So it was two bartenders. And that's it. There was no bar manager. Nothing else. All right? And it was a decent time. You know, we were crushing Miller Lights. I tried to do a chug for some friends. I remember that I can't chug beer. I I think I can chug it with a glass, but in a bottle. A bottle is really hard to chug. And we could do a whole podcast on what's what's the best way to chug a beer. But I am not good at it. And so I was like, all right, well, this isn't working. But we're having fun. We're, you know, we're just shooting the shit. Uh, One of Mitch's friends came through. Uh, and we were just having a really good conversation and it was a fun, fun Saturday night. And, you know, obviously the advantage of the beers, we bought shots at one point just because, you know, just having a good time. And a couple people walked in similar to us, right? They walked in, were friendly. We're trying to get the attention of the bartender. She kind of mouthed off to him, basically ignored him. And my one buddy asked her like, why did you do that? And then of course I got into it with her because I was like, I just gave her like my opinion. And she's like, you don't know how hard we work. I was at another bar the night before I was back here, you know, right away. Like, and I, I was like, I, I get that. But, but I tried to understand like, why do you care that? Like if this is such a shit show and the owner, according to her, like has never owned a bar, which is true. He's in real estate, uh, shout out cord. Like, he he's not doing anything. It sounds like he's an absentee owner. Like you'd think on summer solstice when there are more people around North Avenue drinking than there really as ever is right now. You think as the owner of that bar, it's a little different that you wouldn't introduce yourself and you wouldn't be hanging out there. And like I understand, like got a lot of shit going on, but that to me is a night you got to be there. Or at least one of your partners that you've went in on the place. But I can't begin to explain how bad of an experience I had there. It was just so... It, I don't care about dive bars. I, I, like, you know what? Like, things are a little bit different. Fine, whatever. Like, I, I went to host after the solstice. We had a great time. Fucking drinking. Shooting the shit. Same thing that we were doing, but... Again, much better service, much better energy. I I don't really care about a shitty bar. What I care about is actually getting treated with respect and providing a good experience. And it was just embarrassing. That's more than anything else. It was just an embarrassment. Like I was embarrassed for them. I was embarrassed for the owner. I thought the owner, again, not being there is an absolute fucking champ. Like why the fuck aren't you there? This is a day where you actually will have, you know, people. And you're offering $2 Miller Lights until 9 o'clock. That's that's a sign your bar is failing. If you're offering $2 Miller Lights on a day where you're going to get more foot traffic, that that doesn't make sense. Could you do like a, a deal on, you know, something or another for an hour? Like $2 Miller Lights... From six to seven, meet the owners, meet, you know, hear what you're all about. Like they had a DJ there. 
he was playing to absolutely fucking nobody. Nobody cared the DJ was there. And I was like, what are... Also, too, and I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but forgive me. What kind of bar are you? That's what I asked her. Like, they had pictures of, like, Giannis and, like, Bucks gear up. But their TVs were... All, like, they didn't make sense from a TV perspective. And the other thing was they had this DJ going. And it's like, so, okay. And they... College World Series on, fine, but... Again, you should know that the Stanley Cup's going on. We shouldn't have to ask. She, The bartender didn't even understand how to change the channels on the TV. So you had that as a dilemma. The, the one TV was behind where the DJ was set up. So what, kind, what identity are you as a bar? If you're a nightclub and you have a DJ, great, cool. Call yourself a nightclub. If you're a sports bar, act like a sports bar. It was disappointing. I'll be honest. You know, it's a bar that I could have easily seen myself work with. But I guess if we're going to do a quote-unquote bar review, this is a 1 out of 10. This is probably one of the worst bars I've been in in Milwaukee since I've been 21. Uh, it just it was a terrible experience, and I look forward to never giving them a dime of my money uh, for as long as I live around them. All right, that does it for today's show. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. I think Mitch and I will do the podcast on Tuesday. I have homework for Mitch, so I don't necessarily want to assign it to him day of unless he feels comfortable because I could definitely do the podcast today. So I would imagine you hear me tomorrow, but if you don't for some reason, it could be Mitch, Mitch doing 465. And more fun stuff to come, man. Got some things in the works. Uh, and hope you guys are enjoying us this summer. All right, stay cool today. It's going to be a hot one, and uh, we'll talk tomorrow. All right, see you. Bye.